0: You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend.
1: Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are in their upright and locked position. Pull out your Hugo Award nomination ballot and add the Functional Nerds podcast to your best fan cast selections. Once you have done this, the airlock will seal and life support systems will engage. We hope you enjoy and survive your trip to the Functional Nerdverse. We get to do it again! (laughs) And again and again.
0: It's funny because (laughs) right after... They announced that they were going to be opening on a certain day. Mm-hmm. It's like three days later I think I got my email <laughs>
1: right. saying yeah.
0: nominations are open. go nominate now. So yeah they're they're running a little bit late. Uh, they, they seem to have uh, run into a few issues here and there trying to get everything going and I think even like the the venue mm. ran into some issues because it's still being constructed. Oh dear. the uh, um, well, I guess the, it will the be science very fiction shiny Museum. Yeah, the science fiction museum that they're building for all of Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. Chungu
1: Worldcon is going to be um, a a very complex event. I mean, I think we kind of always knew that. So Yep. Uh,
0: So, yeah, you get to continue doing your thing and threatening our listeners to. I do. Yeah, it's uh, fun.
1: Eventually we'll revert to other or maybe I'll just like actually write a different. It's probably time for a different bumper, too. But that's that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Um, so on the subject of we're we're international, we're international and international. Yeah, we're all over the place. Yeah, yes. Um, We're international, especially uh, this particular episode. Uh, We're coming to you from, of course, the United States as usual, but also uh, Canada and the Czech Republic, uh, if I am if I'm not mistaken. And With us, we have the editors uh, of an upcoming anthology, Life Beyond Us, which is due out on April 22nd. So you should be listening to this episode with enough time to make your pre-orders, to make sure that it is part of a a flotilla of no doubt awesome mail, hopefully not related to American tax season um, and possibly missing the window thereof on April 22nd. Uh, So we have Julie Novakova and Susan Forrest. Welcome aboard. Thank Thank you. you.
0: All right, so 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 hold on before you even go deeper. So the Czech Republic is known for like really really spicy food, right? Isn't that isn't that like what? No, she's she's looking to be like what? Really? No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, we're known for more like oh, uh, let's say German like food. We have sure, lots yeah. of sauerkraut and typically Czech sausages. recipes. Yeah. yeah, we love sausages yeah. here. So yeah, basically, I mean, Czech and German cuisine are really related, but not really spicy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I was teasing. I, as a matter of fact, I love sauerkraut. So one of the things that that I grew up with, uh, we would have every once in a while was uh, Polish sausage, mm-hmm. and it's like a, that's like that's like what it says on the package: Polish sausage and sauerkraut.
1: It is whatever Americans have decided is Polish yes, sausage. Yes, yes, exactly. It's probably a, an important caveat. anyway
0: sorry so so that was (laughs) julie (laughs) and and then susan uh canada is known for that episode of south park i think right um
1: maybe (laughs) i don't watch south park sorry (laughs) no it's fine i don't i don't think that you would find them very flattering to your nation Um, yeah it's not yeah it's kind of a (laughs) long-running bit for them so all right Uh, one of the things we were talking about in the green room leading up to actually starting the recording process was the kind of answer to the question of like, how, how did you find us? How did you learn about life beyond us as a, as a text? And so uh, listeners know that I teach speculative fiction and a lot of the texts that I use because I try and always update the class a lot and keep it super current are in the many different super cool online magazines that are out there today. They're reading stuff that's in like Clark's world and, uh, um, Uncanny Magazine and Tor.com and and um, you know so on and so forth and so a couple of months ago I was back on Uncanny Magazine looking up a story that I had asked my students to read and I needed to brush up on it myself and they have of course an iframe kind of thing going on on their website where they have different advertisements for for books that are coming out and for um, for magazines and, you know, different Kickstarters and all sorts of cool stuff. And I saw an ad for Life Beyond Us. And I think it's probably best if I kind of let the Text uh, speak for itself to some extent here. The pitch that grabbed me was this. How would first contact on Earth and space on another planet transform our understandings of technology, philosophy, and what it means to be human? What kind of cognitive dissonance would society experience if we discovered a previously unrecognized sentience on Earth? What would life be like if it originated in a frigid ocean beneath an impenetrable shell of ice? or in a world whose haze obscures any view of the universe or 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 dive in as the european astrobiology institute presents 54 original sf stories and essays on on science on life microbial to macro from the automatic to sagacious each speculative story is followed by a professional essay illuminating the scientific underpinnings of the story and providing a new window into the cutting edge so I have to say this sort of like hit all my buttons because I'm a giant nerd who likes shiny nerd stuff and I'm also like a big academic nerd who likes like kind of I put my glasses together with a band-aid type stuff and so both the worlds have met how did this project come together how did the two of you come together on it
2: well uh, in late 2020 I contacted Lexa Media the publisher uh, with its editors Lucas Kahlo and Susan Forrest who is uh, with us a- today uh, with the pitch for this anthology because I have been a long time fan of science and scientist and also an educator and science fiction writer and editor and I love uh, mixing these worlds together using science fiction in education and using actual science in my science fiction and already some years ago I was thinking that it would be perfect to create an anthology where the stories would be followed by essays illuminating the science that was hinted at in the stories and uh, informing the readers of what the open questions are and uh, what we might learn in the coming years and decades. So uh, in early 2020, I created a short ebook titled Strangest of All, uh, which had to reprint science fiction stories uh, related to astrobiology. And I wrote the follow-up essays. And the reactions to this ebook were quite good. So I thought, why not do something far more ambitious?
3: <laughs> so
2: I began thinking of an anthology of original stories and essays written by different scientists. So I approached Lucas and Susan, and they liked the idea, and they immediately began to improve upon
3: it. And here we are.
0: So, Susan, what's your what's your half of that story?
3: Well, in actual fact, uh, the relationship between Julie and Laxamedia, which is uh, the publisher, is Lucas Law, and myself even goes back a little bit further because uh, in one of our previous anthologies, um, Julie wrote an amazing story for us called um, "Screen in Silver, Love in Color." mirror in black and white which we absolutely loved it's a great story So I think maybe that's that's how uh, Lucas is is wonderful uh we've we've got a series of uh, anthologies out through LAXA Media, and he's very conscious of uh, ensuring that we've got um, a variety of of authors so people at the beginning of their careers people who are well established, people of different genders, races, cultures, countries. And so uh, in the Laxa anthologies, he's been instrumental in reaching out to the authors. So, Julie, you might know this better than me. I'm assuming he discovered you from somewhere and reached out and asked you to join us in that previous anthology. Well, I'm not actually sure where Lucas discovered me. I mean... It was, uh, I think,
2: three years after my first story in Clark's World, and I had several other ones in other online magazines. Uh, I think by that time I was also in Asimov's, but I'm not sure which of the stories caught his eye and uh, why he thought that, hey, we should invite Julian, but I'm really glad that he did. And uh, that's uh, also part of the reason why I reached out to Lucas and to Laxamedia because uh, all these anthologies are centered on a specific theme and they uh, have a purpose uh, such as helping people uh, with mental disorders or helping people who were displaced and so on. And uh, an anthology that uh, helps people to learn more about science and to understand it more deeply. Uh, fit well into the Laxa Media plan, or so I thought. And well, given yep. that Lucas and Susan liked it, uh, it did. <laughs> I did.
3: I would say so. And if I can even go back a little bit further, I was uh, I, I was right in on the ground floor with uh when Laxa Media got started. And Lucas told the story about how he'd been planning and wanting and wanting and wanting to start a publishing company, um, for quite a while. And hadn't kind of got around to it or was scared. I don't know exactly what the what the background on that was. But he had a friend who said, when are you going to do this? There's like, do it now. <laughs> or, you know, you got it. And so he did. And the first uh, anthology we put out was called Strangers Among Us. And it was about mental health and mental illness. And as Julie was pointing out, um, e- everything that uh, comes out from Laxa Media is... Um, is for that purpose. It's for raising conversations about things that maybe uh, we don't always uh, talk about. So mental health, and mental illness, caregivers and caregiving, uh, d- different topics like that. And so, yeah, so Life Beyond Us was perfect because, you know, there's a, especially with climate change on our, I was going to say on our horizon, I think we're plunged <laughs> well into the middle of it by now. But mm-hmm. uh and all the implications around migrations and the economics and population and what have you um this planet is seeming awfully tiny so yeah life beyond us really fits into the the
1: whole laxa direction yeah so it's i got excited like i mentioned about the the premise here because one of the things that I find myself in conversation with people about a lot when we're talking about speculative fiction is the sort of, well, but that could never happen or like that doesn't exist or um, well, if it did happen, would it happen that way? And there is a genuine curiosity, I think amongst people who, you know, regardless of whether or not they look at, at speculative fiction really critically, or if they just sort of look at it with curiosity in a general sense because they wish to be entertained, there's a real sense of, of people kind of wanting to know, like, how how imaginative is this and how possible is this? And I think, just like you were saying, Julie, that sometimes our, our curiosity about things isn't matched by our actual literacy in, in emerging science and in where the professional conversation is. And so a text that kind of speaks to both of those things. Like, what is, what is the reality that has something to do with what we're seeing in this story world? And then what is the story that we can create because of these science fictional, these scientific concepts that we're trying to explore through science fiction? It's just crazily exciting to me uh, because it's sort of like they always have that thing that they say that you should write the book or publish the book or edit the book or whatever that you wish you had written. And I was sort of like, dang it, this is like, when I was writing my my speculative fiction class years ago, like, I wish this book had been there so I could just be like, see, see, dudes, like, here's, here's the thing. And so that kind of takes me to the question of, all right, as editors, Susan and Julie, you have a lot of ability to kind of shape the tone and the character and the focus of your project together. And so I'm kind of wondering, did you set any particular ground rules, either for yourself or for your authors about, like this is the kind of work we want to see. And this is like the kind of direction we, we would like to see things built in.
2: Well, when we started inviting our authors, uh, we had some brief guidelines for them. And beside the technical stuff, like the maximum word count or the deadline, uh, we had some uh, purposely vaguer guidelines of uh, what we would like to see. Of course, the stories should be related to the science of astrobiology in some way, but it could be in many different directions that were eventually explored in the book, like extremophile life on Earth or first contact with another civilization or communication issues across species or discovering other life forms in the solar system or beyond it in the past or in far future. So we really wanted to explore this topic from many different directions, and we also emphasized that while ideally the majority of the stories should be uh, possible to uh, you know place in the uh, hard science fiction label, uh, the authors shouldn't feel constrained by this. I mean, the stories need not necessarily be hard science fiction, some of them are not. What's important is that they are imaginative and that they are great stories. And hopefully they will inspire readers in the future like the one that you might be hearing right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. About this extra guest.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and it's super cool <laughs> that you brought one of your own with you. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Well, she loves uh, life forms and yeah, what she's yeah. saying right now is woof woof because she nice. sees a picture of a dog. She loves them. Yes, it's important. <laughs> and
1: I do too when I see
2: dogs. I, I will point and point. So it's it's nice. important to foster interest in science and excitement and curiosity in people from the earliest age. And yeah. while Life Beyond Us is aimed uh, at, let's say, young adults and older readers, adults mostly, but uh, young adults can read it too, Uh I think that curiosity can be rekindled in any age. And mm. I hope that these stories as well as the essays are going to do it because as you said, Tracy, there's also a story in, uh, the, uh, in the science essays because uh, it's always a story of discovery, sometimes missteps or uh, some wrong conclusions, open questions. And it's a story that basically never ends. And that's so exciting about
3: it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I would really agree with Julie that uh, having, again, worked with Lucas on the other uh, earlier anthologies, he's very much into let's not stifle the creativity because we might have an idea of what we're thinking of for a particular anthology, but um, then they come in, the stories come in. And they're astounding, <laughs> right? Because they're all over the place and, 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 and bring in and new ideas. You've got 54
1: ideas. of them. I Did know. you just slip well, a bunch of the authors and think some of them are just not going to be able to make the deadline and that's cool? And then like, they all showed up and you're like, oh no.
2: Well, it's 27 stories and 27 essays, so 54 that's pieces good. in total, but it's a huge book. A it's almost 600 pages.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the other thing about that too is uh, I, I remember in one of our previous anthologies, the one about caregivers and caregiving, we we went through the stories and discovered we did not have a story that was about a person who refused to be a caregiver. So we mm-hmm. actually went out and solicited a story for that, but not in this in this instance. Oh my goodness! They when they came to us, they were there was such a variety. It was it was really amazing.
1: Yeah. Susan, I yeah. feel like
0: we could have a very long conversation about caregivers.
1: Oh okay, <laughs> uh, yes, mm-hmm.
0: I, I was a caregiver. Uh, Julie, you mentioned you mentioned being published in Clark's World, and he very famously IT's, has the guideline that there are no talking cats, uh, no talking cats <laughs> whatsoever. Did you did you have a did you have a nope? Did you have anything that was like this is something that we don't want? And so you had that in the guideline.
2: Well, uh, we didn't have anything uh, specific, uh, but I think it was clear to the authors that even if they wrote a superb high fantasy story, it likely wouldn't be a good fit for Life Beyond Us. So, <laughs>
1: yeah. uh,
2: so,
0: so we... no Jedi.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically. Only if you bring <laughs> a big deal of the Metatolarians <laughs> to right. really lean into the Metatolarians.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean. All the authors uh, understood the guidelines perfectly, and they handed it sto- handed in stories that explored the topic of life beyond us, be it microbial or another technological civilization, uh, very carefully and from many different directions. And we can say it also about the stories from the open submissions period, because When we ran the Kickstarter to fund the anthology in early 2021, we had a stretch goal for open submissions, and it was reached, as well as the two previous stretch goals for translated stories and for stories by Brazilian science fiction authors. So... uh, we had uh, something over 300 stories no in the open God. subs. <laughs> <Wow>. and
1: <laughs>
2: Yeah, Stop but giving, wow. there so many I'm
1: good ones. i 27, but that was really <laughs> yeah. a lot of work.
0: <laughs> that is so much slush reading, my God. Well, and
3: we also had um, a, a story that actually doesn't have any life beyond us. It's all dealing with human beings, but it's about do we land a lander on Mars because we could contaminate that planet, or if there is something there, we could bring something back. So even life beyond us, we, we've even got one story that doesn't have an alien, even a microbial alien, alien in it. So,
0: did did any of the open submission stories make it?
3: Yes, i did. We have two of them
2: uh, by nice. Brian, yeah, by Brian Rapata and B zelkovich and they are both fascinating stories. I think the readers are going to love them. That's
0: amazing.
1: So it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, I feel like there's this kind of weird synergy between the episode that aired right before this one and and the conversation we're having now. Our last episode was S.B. Divya, whose novel Meru um, is kind of a, a post human, transhuman, uh, ecologically informed, ethically informed uh, vision of, of habitation and space and life in a thousand years in the future. And in a lot of ways, it's navigating questions similar to what you were talking about, Susan, with the idea of like, just because we can, should we, you know, in Mm -hmm. many sorts of situations and not from that kind of like classical mid 20th centuries Luddite kind of move of science fiction of like, oh, we must not go too far. Um, None of the kind of Jurassic Park um, hand-wringing kind of thing, but more in the idea of like, no, we're, we're within... Our, our potential futures lie opportunities for us all to sort of live better lives. And how do we kind of like define what that can mean? And so that kind of gets me thinking about anthologies also tend to have a kind of a vibe to them. It's more than just the theme that unites them. Like oftentimes you get a sense from as you exit reading an anthology that it is It's a journey towards a vision that's largely positive or a vision that's, you know, largely negative or it's sort of conflicted in its nature. And I kind of wonder if now sitting back and looking at aggregate at what you've created together with your authors, do you have a sense that their visions of life beyond us are, are they positive visions? Are they hopeful? Are they, are they curious? Are they anxious? Are they, is it just kind of the whole gamut? (laughs) Well, for me,
2: definitely the connecting element is curiosity because we have uh, several very optimistic, cozy stories as well as some grim and darker ones. But all of the stories, despite all different moods, are connected by curiosity, by the drive to uh, explore the unknown, uh, whether it's scary or whether it seems amazing at first sight.
3: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I was, I was thinking positive, but yeah, uh, curiosity. I think that's a,
1: a good way way to put them together. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be almost sort of impossible to take the theme of the anthology in good faith and not, as an author, kind of say, like, I, I kind of need to kind of need to blow the doors off of off of this. Like, what are the assumptions that I usually make, and how can I like break them? How can I just go to a very different kind of creative place. So, okay. I'm going to ask you a question that is like the bad parent question. Um, I have two kids and like the bad parent question that occasionally people will work up the will to ask you is like, do you have a favorite or something? (laughs) Like sometimes it's the kids themselves who are like, I'm your favorite. Right. Um, And then other times it's other people who are just kind of like curious about your family dynamics do you have, looking back on it, certain stories from the anthology where you're like, oh, yeah, that one really sticks with me or for whatever reason?
2: Well, I stand behind all of the stories because I love them all. And while some stories needed more extensive editing or several rounds and some barely needed any editing at all, uh, they, bo- they all ended up amazing. So I don't have any favorites per se but I have stories uh, that stick to me uh, in terms of questions that uh, I like to explore in my own fiction or even professionally, such as the uh, issue of Umwelt, the perceived environment. You know, uh, We humans are very visual creatures and our hearing is also extremely important for us. And uh, we have some range, uh, how far we can see, hear, etc., what we can touch, smell, taste, uh, uh, and all that we sense creates uh, some image of the outer world. And other creatures can have a completely different image because they might have no eyes at all and they rely mostly on taste or smell or uh, in terms of science fiction, even on very different uh, different senses. So I really love exploring how we might try connecting with another creature across this really vast chasm of really different perceived worlds. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the stories in Life Beyond Us that explore this question, I think that uh, Simon Heller's "Forever the Forest" uh, did a really beautiful job at imagining how a sentient tree and a sentient forest that communicates uh, across vast distances can perceive the world and try to connect uh, mm-hmm. with a human astronaut who crash landed mm-hmm. on its planet, and. Uh, there's also uh, a much darker story by Peter Watts uh, titled Defective that features a protagonist who uh, is really skilled at communicating with different species on Earth. Uh, he even communicated with mycorrhizal fungus, basically with forest. And uh, now his job is trying to communicate with aliens Uh, who are not biologically based, who don't have any chemistry at all. Uh, They are based on a very exotic uh, physics concept. And uh, it's up to the result of his job uh, whether humans try to eradicate them before these aliens might inadvertently destroy the solar system or whether we can achieve some sort of communication and peace, even though we are not being attacked because the aliens probably don't even know we exist. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are very different and fascinating takes on the question of whom we could really understand. And the essays uh, that follow up on these stories explore it beautifully as well.
0: So, so, Susan, Julie, Julie took the high road there in the beginning and, and she was like, no, no, I love them all equally. But then she kind of brought it back towards the bottom, you know, and said, but I do have a couple that I really like. What about you? So come on. Do you,
3: yeah, um, do you have favorites? Yeah, I, I think everybody, everybody has certain styles of story that they maybe prefer um, and I think that's one of the big advantages to having three different editors on this mm-hmm. anthology, because we each bring a different sensibility to it. I know I tend to uh, be a little bit more attracted to the um, the grounded plot-driven, more stories, character. Um, but we have some stories that are a little bit more abstract and philosophical. And... You know, in the course of working through these, you get exposed to new um, new styles, new new writers, new ways of thinking. A fair number sure. of our writers are uh, international as well, that and they bring a different uh, background and experience, and so that's been really helpful. Uh, one of the stories that I would point out, beyond the one that I mentioned earlier, that it's an excellent story by Eric Choi that. Uh, it, it deals with uh, should we land on Mars or not. Uh, but another one that really struck me was it because of its format. I mean, it's a great story in terms of character and what's happening, but it's written in there's a section that's a play. There are uh, Twitter feeds. There are uh, uh, museum archaeological um, mm-hmm. objects and write-ups about them. And, and they're strung together in a way that's out of temporal order, but it's in a really well-developed story order. Um, there's another one um, that really makes use of humor. Uh, you know, and humor in science fiction you don't often see as often. Um, but it's it's this wonderful loner astronaut who loves to paint and his job is so easy. He can spend a lot of his time painting and he gets wind up saddled with a with a teenager.
0: And it's oh, no. just hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, You're not um, a teenager. So it's a horror story.
1: <laughs> there you <we> go. <laughs> the astronaut apparently. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's an amazing piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that you get why we love them
1: all because I mean, both Susan and I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. <sighs> no, it does not sound like I love them all was a cop out answer. It sounds like that that is a very fair response. So. <laughs> So this is just so exciting, and now, of course, you know April twenty second. I've got my pre order in. I hope uh, I hope listeners are uh, eagerly opening up other apps and windows and things, and, and going to, to IndieBound or whatever makes them happy. To yeah. well, to, we
0: know we know Canola yeah. Joe will take it, so we know he'll go for it
1: for sure. Yeah, in fact, um, I'm assigning a book review. Um so that can that yeah, can go no to joke. the yeah. yeah so, so there you go. Got you keep, you have homework, Joe. Sorry. Um <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Actually, it's that kind of sorry. Yeah. So as we are um
0: <laughs> I, I do last... wanna I do wanna I, I wanna throw it out there that uh while we've been doing this, uh I, I'm giving I'm giving Julie mad props because she has been uh handling this like a pro while her child is climbing the walls behind her usually <laughs>
1: yeah no it's been, it's been um, a real testament to Julia's determination as a parent and just as a functioning human so I gotta yeah. I gotta give respect to that um, and, and, and Susan has has gone scurrying away and has grabbed treasures off of the shelves of her of her office so.
3: that's the, well, book. That's I, the cover I really yeah had to bring
1: this out I know that, that your podcast
3: listeners can't see it but the
1: book <laughs> itself is gorgeous I mean, <laughs> she's rubbing her yeah. hands on it in a very provocative
3: yeah. way yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. The artwork and the just the paper and yeah. the interior uh illustrations there's a billion of them all over the uh, place. this is
1: making me very hot we're gonna have to change the rating on this podcast <laughs> it's, uh, <that's, laughs> um, yeah it's, it's so. a good book to touch and hold <laughs> nice, a good book to touch and hold. That's the, the tagline for for this particular episode. So I think while we're on the subject of good things, how we feel about picks of the week? Are you ready for it?
0: I think picks of the week would work. Let's do it. Picks of the week. week.
1: All right, I'm going to go against my nature and attempt to model good behavior and do the picks of the week spiel so that you can follow along after. But my pick of the week is uh, the second book in a duology. Uh, I actually had the first book in the duology as a pick, gosh, a while ago. I don't remember what episode, but it's been it's been a minute and a half at least. But this is A Prayer for the Crown Shy, which is the sequel uh, to A Psalm for the Wild Built uh, by Becky Chambers. It's the monk and robot novella duology. And this comes with the caveat that if you were someone who read, for instance, the Wayfarers books uh, by Becky Chambers and said, wow, there's a lot of feelings and a lot of like social commentary and society and world building going on here, but not a ton of plot. This is not for me. I cannot begin to emphasize to you strongly enough how not for you the monk and robot novellas <laughs> would be. So full ownership of the fact that this is this is a, a pair of books off of which you might thoroughly bounce. Um, however, I have been loving A Prayer for the Crown Shy, which is the the sequel to the Psalm for a Wild Built, because what Chambers is interested in in this um story is is so interesting to me because we're imagining a world, not our own. There's a, there's a functioning human society that is built on a moon of, of some other planet that is not given a name, but Panga is the name of the moon that is habitated by humans. Um, and we are hundreds of years in the future of a, uh, we're sort of, post-robot age. Uh, There was a time that robots were part of a kind of industrialized existence that people had, and there was a great awakening of the robots. They achieved sentience, and as part of achieving sentience, rather than looking at humankind and saying, Grr, you enslaved us and made us do things for you, they said, we're out, nope, bye. And they literally went into the wilds uh, and became self-sustaining um, in a very kind of way that kind of ironically winks at the assumptions we make about robots. The robots go and live in the wilderness. They basically become robot druids and robot rangers and you know all that sort of stuff, Um And so it's been many hundreds of years since anyone has seen a robot and this particular monk, who is kind of tired of doing monk stuff and is just looking for a break, has gone into the wilderness to get lost and find themselves, perhaps as part of that process and is approached by a robot. Um, And again, no one's seen them for hundreds of years. And that's where the whole duology launches itself. By the time we hit a prayer for the crown, shy the robot and the monk are now traveling together. They are a awkward but carefully bonded uh, pair of friends. And Chambers isn't interested in telling us the story of how this world came to be. She's really interested in telling us the story of using the SFnal stuff that's happening in this world to kind of unpack human nature and like what makes us happy in life and like what do we really need and Like what what kind of futures could we build if we thought differently about things like owning stuff or having jobs or money or government or any number of things? Um, And they are just deeply refreshing, very cozy, very meditative, very thinky, but also very funny books. And so if that sounds like your jam, uh, you should check out the Monk and Robot books. I'm reading the second of them now, A Prayer for the Crown Shy. Very All cool. Right. So, who's next?
2: Well, I'd love to recommend books by Petra Horáček. Uh, but you should be aware that uh, these are children's books, actually. Uh, mm. And I think that uh, parents who like speculative fiction and who like humor are going to love reading them to their kids. Uh, And it's my pick of the week because uh, my younger daughter, whom you uh, have heard during this podcast, has been sick this week. (laughs) And uh, reading these books to her uh, made it more bearable for everyone. And we read them like 20 times each day. And uh, he is a Czech author who has been living in London for a very long time. And he actually creates in English... The books have wonderful, funny illustrations, and I can't stress enough how uh, funny, uh, for instance, Silly Susie Goose is, or The Mouse Who Ate the Moon. Mm. These books are as funny as the titles suggest, and you uh, can really meet lots of different animals in them and introduce them to the kids. So basically, if you have children who are like oh, in the range oh, of one, two, three
1: years old, they're going to love these books. Very cool. Awesome. It's a wonderful Susan, thing how to about... find that sort of book that doesn't make you as a parent <laughs> crazy.
0: Yes. Yeah. Susan, how about you? Yes. Got
1: yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: the book that I am reading right now is called Karen Memory by Elizabeth Baer. And oh, yeah. I am thoroughly enjoying it. It's uh, it's steampunk. Um, it uh, takes place in 1898 in a place called Rapid City, which sounds an awful lot like it might be Seattle because it's during the uh, the gold rush, and they're in a, in a port city where. The, the miners are heading off to Alaska to, for gold and they're coming back from Alaska but um, the central character is actually um, a worker in a um, in a house of ill repute and she has the most amazing voice and the, the vocabulary and the way she looks at things like just uh, the other day she was saying she walked into a room and a gentleman stood up and she said uh, people of her profession are not used to Things like that happening. I won't use the exact language she uses, but um, <laughs> but the 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 sensibility and the orientation of the character towards what's going on. The steampunk element is that the uh, the bad guy has created a glove, which I think is a, attached to a gigantic machine, and this glove can cause people to to do what he wants them to do, and so mm. he's. He's manipulating the townsfolk against this house of ill repute for his own political and economic gain. Um, so it's a wonderful story, but what is really drawing me as much as anything is is the character and her
1: attitude toward everything. It's wonderful. Brilliant. That's awesome. Hey, Patrick, how about you?
0: <clears throat> I have a... Uh... I have a pick. I seem to be on a Netflix Netflix kick, mm-hmm. so I wrote some notes here. Uh, Lockwood and Company. Oh, okay. This is on Netflix in the USA. I don't know if it's in Netflix on Canada or in the Czech Republic. You would have to check. Uh, but it's based on the books by the same name, Lockwood and Company, uh, the series, and this is the story is basically something happened in the past that has created the problem. And the problem is that ghosts are no longer benign. They are aggressive and they come out at night and they will attack you if you're out at night. And so, uh, and they, they cause a lot of problems and, and essentially, uh, there are wards and, and, Uh, hospitals and stuff that are dedicated to people who have had encounters with ghosts who just basically are catatonic now. And so technology has been developed to kind of keep the ghosts away. There are uh, curfews involved. And then one of the oddest parts of this is that teenagers have developed a talent, not all teenagers but a lot of them have developed a talent that allows them to uh, have varying degrees of uh, of sensing ghosts, being able to see ghosts, being able to battle ghosts, fight them uh, and and do stuff. And, And essentially they've become the protectors of society. And so in London, all of these schools have essentially, and companies have, 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 been formed and the kids go there and they become the protectors of that community they clean out places that are haunted and, and they get trained but you only have a limited amount of time when this talent manifests uh, as soon as you hit 20 it starts to fade so it's only the kids and only of a certain age and Lockwood and Company is is one of these agencies that is that has formed and it's got three people in it and they are trying to protect London, and it was a really well done series. Uh, they only have eight episodes, but it was so well done, and it makes me want to check out the books. And that's all you so can what, really is ask this one for of, an adaptation. One of
1: Netflix's ill-advised sudden cancellation things—they haven't canceled
0: it yet, that I know of. I'm hoping okay. that they don't. It's just sort of because uh, again, mind, yeah, it was it was really done well, so uh, I enjoyed the heck out of it. So go check that out, Lockwood and Company.
2: Fantastic, thanks. And I think that my daughter is going to second my recommendation because she has just brought me the book story. <laughs> <three to her. laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> she heard you talking about him. Yep.
1: Like yeah, yeah. Well, I remember that mouse. Yeah. Let's do mouse. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for uh, for for braving children, for um, braving the Canadian winter, for for just being brave uh, and for joining us today. It's been really awesome having you on. All right, so we want people to find life beyond us. I mean, both metaphorically and sort of spiritually, but also literally, the book. Um, and we also we also want them to be able to find you and all of your cool work. So, where can people find the book? Find you? Support what you're doing.
2: Well, uh, Life Beyond Us can be found on the publisher's website, laxamedia.com, where readers can pick their favorite pre-order option, whether they go for the easy option of the Amazon or decide to uh, follow more, let's say, ethical ground rules and uh, (laughs) pre-order elsewhere. It's completely up to anyone. There are many pre-order options. And uh, in the U.S. and Canada, I think that some physical bookstores should stock it after it's published. Uh, And uh, my own website is uh, julienovakova.com. And on my Twitter, which is uh, julian underscore sf, uh, I am introducing... a Life Beyond Us uh, story and essay each uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, unless some disaster prevents it. So if readers want to know more about the particular stories and essays and their authors, they should check it out. Okay.
1: Fantastic. How about you, Susan?
3: <sighs> yeah, uh, so my website is speculative-fiction.ca. ca. And uh I'm pretty excited like a book 3 of my uh fantasy high fantasy series is coming out this summer. It's called Gathering of Ghosts. So
0: Woo-hoo. people need to be
3: watching for that when it comes. I don't have a release date for it yet. So Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Congrats.
1: All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thank you. It has Thank awesome. you. It was amazing. <laughs>
0: What on earth? Hey. hey!
1: Oh, oh. Hi, Patrick!
0: Tracy, what are you doing to the bumper? Uh,
1: fortifying it. Duh.
0: This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair. And?
1: And I started thinking about the time beyond the trope, tried to take over. Yeah, I... I act cool about that, but I guess
0: it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a what what is this?
1: It's a palisade,
0: right? You realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose.
1: Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat.
0: Oh my god, you're not kidding.
1: You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh?
0: My therapist says I need to give my worst impulses space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon.
1: Pfft, I would
0: totally act on that.
1: But there's a problem. I... Don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny, stabbity nomination
0: pins, Patrick. Patrick! Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it?
1: This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend
0: our lair. Podcast
1: but layer podcast whatever we need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like best fan cast
0: please let me go oh sorry Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China.
1: Oh, or or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com.
0: You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. (sighs) Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do, and they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff, also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there, beyond the trope, check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers. You got it right, how about that? Yeah. You can call me Canoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions. And then oh, squirrel. Oh, for God's sake. Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, Hey, I really love what you do, I'm like I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else.
1: The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff.
0: My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.